This is the Menasha Public Library Podcast. Community. Conversation. Story. Welcome back to the Menasha Public Library Podcast. During the month of March, we've been reading the book, Memorial of Elisha Dickinson Smith, in honor of our 125th anniversary and his birthday, which is March 29th. Last week, we read Biographical Sketch and In His Home. This week, we are going to read As a Businessman and As a Christian Citizen. As a Businessman Religious, punctual, frugal, and so forth, his word would pass for more than he was worth. Pope. A visit to the Menasha Woodenware Company's plant will impress anyone with the fact that it is the product of no ordinary ability. As you watch the trainloads of logs brought from the northern woods and see them passing through the various changes going from one set of workmen to another, till at length the finished product in a variety of forms appears, and then stored away in the mammoth warehouses to be loaded on the company's freight cars, of which there are 150 or more, on the road every day in the year. It begins to dawn upon you that this is an immense institution, and this impression is deepened when you are taken through the various departments of the factory and walk over the acres that are covered with hundreds of cords of staves, with kilns here and there for drying purposes, and then sitting down in the business office where a corpse of clerks are employed, And you are told that this business, now reaching over a million annually, paying out some 30,000 monthly for wages, sending its products to all points in our own country, has grown from almost nothing in the space of a generation to its present large dimensions under the eye and management of a single man. Now you are ready to ask after the chief elements of that man's success, and you are the more ready to ask this question when you are told of the many seemingly insurmountable obstacles that stood in the pathway of his success at the beginning and for a score of years while the business was developing. In reply to this question, put to a man of keen observation, who had been intimately acquainted with Mr. Smith in business relations for many years, he said, Mr. Smith was a man of tremendous energy and continuity of purpose. He stayed with all of his propositions for getting nothing he had undertaken, He had a sublime faith in God and faith in his business, and with this faith he wrought on, bidding his time. No problem of business was so deep or intricate that he would not bend all his energies to its solution. He would think it through. He would put in his time, for example, on a question of interest or percentage, which would seem to be almost useless because of the time it would require. But he would undertake and push it to the end. Such was his spirit of perseverance. He was prompt in meeting his business appointments. As illustrative of his determination to keep his appointments, he used to tell a story of a man who said to his creditor that he would surely pay his bill at a certain time if he lived. The time passed and the bill was not paid. The creditor, meeting him one day, did not notice him, and when his attention was called to the man, he turned and said, Why, you are dead. You said if you were living at a certain time, you would pay that bill. The time is passed and the bill is not paid. Of course, you must be dead. Mr. Smith had no patience with a lazy man. One afternoon, when the mercury was below zero and the wind was fiercely blowing, 
Mr. Smith buttoned up his overcoat, left his office, and stepped into a grocery store and gave the proprietor $7, asking him to send supplies to the amount of $3.50 to each of the two families whom he knew to be in need. At the same time, he noticed one of the men in his employ sitting by the stove and said to him, Why are you not at work? There is no work today, the man replied. You had better go home and cut wood, said Mr. Smith. The man replied, I have no wood and no money to buy any. Well, what is a load of wood worth? On being told, he handed him the amount, $2.50, and said, Now go and buy a load of wood and go home and cut it. Another man, sitting by, expressed the wish that someone would give him the price of a load of wood. When Mr. Smith handed him $2.50 and said, Now buy you a load of wood and go home and cut it. As illustrative of his looking closely after his collections, even of small sums, and also his sense of business honesty at the same time he was giving these men money to purchase wood and sending them home to cut it, he saw a man who owed him $1.87 and had owed it a long time. He stepped up to him and asked if it was not about time he paid that little debt. The man, happening to have that amount of currency in his pocket, paid the debt. Then he turned to him and, seeing that he was really in need, handed him $5, telling him to use it for the comfort of his family. He was an economizer of time. He had the ability to attend to many diverse matters at the same time. He was systematic and orderly, which enabled him to dispatch business with remarkable facility. He had a genius for being always employed, it is said of him that when on business in Chicago or other cities, and he had a little time to spare, he would use it in some way to his advantage. If nothing more than drop into a museum for entertainment, where he saw the funny side of life, and would come home and entertain his friends, relating his experiences with a vein of humor bubbling up here and there in the course of the narrative. His reputation for honesty was no small element in his success. That he was accused of sharp, dishonest deals is not denied. At the time of his failure, there were many stories circulated that reflected upon his integrity, which stung him to the quick. But when, under the wise management of the receiver, his business was made to pay up every dollar of indebtedness with interest, even obligations from which he had been legally discharged, such stories soon ceased to be retailed concerning him. It is certain that in the years succeeding his failure, his reputation for business integrity was unclouded. He possessed a degree of business foresight that enabled him to take advantage of the markets. He foresaw the advance in the price of timber and early began to invest in pine lands, not for the sake of the soil, but for the timber growing thereon. These investments proved very profitable and really laid the foundation of his growing wealth. He took an interest in his employees, treating them not as human machines from which he was to get a certain amount of profit, but as men to be justly rewarded for the service rendered. He encouraged them to build for themselves homes. He would say, Buy a lot and come to me, and I will furnish you with the lumber to build and give you as long a credit as you want. Visitors to Menasha have remarked the large number of small, neat cottages occupied by the operatives of the factory, with well-cultivated gardens and pleasant front yards. This policy had a tendency to give stability to his workmen and to cultivate the home feeling so essential to a better life. And so Menasha has become a city of homes, not rented houses, and strikes among workmen are unknown. His methods all seem to tend towards making a man independent, 
to make him feel that he was a man and to inspire him with the ambition to make the most of himself. He would shake hands with his men and inquire after their families. If any were sick, he was sure to know about it. One day, says a correspondent, he came out of his private office and asked the writer about the condition of a man who had been in his employ, and when told that the man was low, suffering from an incurable disease, and that the family was in needy circumstances, he handed a sum of money to one of his clerks and said, When you go home, you had better go around that way and leave this money. No wonder he bound his men to him as with hooks of steel. Besides, he showed his interest in the higher welfare of his men. It was this that prompted him to lead in the establishment of a public library and reading room. He would encourage his men to attend lectures. Sometimes he would close work early or shut down for half a day to give his men the opportunity to listen to some distinguished speaker or to attend extra-religious meetings. In these various ways, he attached his men to him, and they made his interest theirs. Men in love with their employer will do far more and better work and thus contribute more towards his success than otherwise. As a Christian citizen, my country, sir, is not a single spot of which such a mold fixed to such a clime. No, tis the social circle of my friends, the loved community in which I'm linked and in whose welfare all my wishes center. Miller. Citizenship is a large word, but few work out practically its rich meaning. The man who studies the public good and directs his energies to the attainment of its best illustrates the meaning of citizenship. He may never hold office, yet do far more for his country than many office holders. Mr. Smith was never an office seeker. There were times when the office sought him and he declined, believing he could do more for the public in other ways. He was keenly alive to the interests of his own town. Any public involvements, the building of bridges, railroads, or the improvement of streets, met with a cordial response. At one time, when traveling abroad, he was struck with the beauty of the town he was visiting. He thought of Menasha, its need of shade trees, and at once sent orders to furnish shade trees, free of cost, to as many as would plant them in the front of their lots along the streets. Many availed themselves of this generous offer. It was an incentive to other street improvements. For many years, Mr. Smith cherished the idea of a public park that should be a place for healthful and enjoyable resort, and yet be kept free from demoralizing agencies. Gradually, he secured the possession of a 25-acre lot, beautifully located on the island and within the city limits, covered with native growth of historic oaks and elms under which the red men of the forest had often built their bark wigwams. When it was proposed to change the location of Downer College from Fox Lake to some more eligible location, Mr. Smith offered this park for a campus and also to secure a gift to the college of $50,000 additional. About the same time, Milwaukee offered to unite its women's college with Downer and turn over its property, valued at $150,000, with an additional gift of $25,000. This seemed on the whole a more favorable proposition and was adopted, which was indeed a great disappointment to Mr. Smith. He then developed more fully his scheme for a public park with a view to presenting it to the city on certain conditions when the proper time should come. Then came the project of a free public library, which began in a public meeting called by Miss Lucy L. Pleasance, 
and held November 19, 1895, at the National Hotel, P.V. Lawson Chairman. At this meeting, Mr. Smith offered $500 on condition that $1,000 be subscribed for the purchase of books. In the following March, the money was reported raised, and in September, the library was opened to the reading public. An unexpected demand for books required an enlargement of plans. It was proposed to present it to the city, provided one mill tax annually should be voted by the city. By a popular vote, the library was accepted, and on July 13, 1897, the transfer was made to the city under the name of the Menasha Free Library and Reading Room. But as yet, there was no building to house the books. But in the fertile brain and large heart of Mr. Smith, an ideal building had been growing, and now the time had come to make it public. On July 14, 1897, at a special meeting of the city council, at which a few friends had been invited, Mr. Smith tendered to the city that 25 acres he had planned for a public park and $25,000 for library purposes, $10,000 to remain as a permanent endowment. In his own words, the park was, for the purpose of promoting the health, pleasure, and the comfort of the citizens, and the income from the endowment shall go towards increasing the library and its usefulness year by year for profitable reading matter for the citizens. The manner in which the magnificent gift was received by the people was graphically described by the press of the following day in these words. After the unanimous acceptance of the proposition by the council, an adjournment was had, and then began one of the liveliest and heartiest impromptu celebrations ever witnessed in Menasha. The fire and church bells rang, the whistles blew, sky rockets were sent up, firecrackers added to the din, tin horns were tooted, gongs were pounded, and everybody made merry over the grand gift. It was nearly midnight before the noise wholly subsided. Coming down into the street, Mr. Smith thought there was a great conflagration, but when he was finally made to understand the cause of the din, he was as much astonished as pleased, having thought all along that his proposition might be rejected because of some excellent and salutary moral conditions embodied therein that some might oppose. The following Saturday night, the people got together one of the greatest public demonstrations ever witnessed in our city to visit Mr. Smith at his home and personally thank him for his noble gift. There was tremendous enthusiasm throughout the city. Headed by the full Aryan military band that had come from Camp Douglas by special train, with the Crescent Band of Oshkosh and the Union Band at the intervals in the line, in the words of the breeze, the procession reached from Main Street to Mr. Smith's residence. It is a conservative estimate that places the number of men, women, and children who gathered at the large lawn and in the streets about the house at 6,000 many having come from the neighboring city, Nina. After several speakers had congratulated Mr. Smith, he replied that he had not expected any such demonstration. It was not for the fulsome praise he had made the gift, but for the good of his fellow citizens. It was even more of a joy to him to give than for them to receive. He said, Let me say to you, my friends, and all of you, that it is a grand thing to do for those who are needy. I think any person will live longer and happier in this world by doing something to help mankind. Mr. Smith had cherished the purpose of having the library located in the park, 
but after a careful canvas of the question, it was thought that the library would be more useful located as near as possible to the business center of the city. And so Mr. Smith consented to purchase the present site at a cost of $2,000. He also added $5,000 to complete the building, making in all $32,500, which he put into the library enterprise. Besides, he conceived the idea of making the library a center for a system of traveling libraries that should circulate in the outlying towns. Of these, he furnished 15, with 50 volumes in each, which are carrying light and cheer into a large number of homes. The Elisha D. Smith Free Public Library was opened October 21, 1898, with the appropriate exercises which accompanied the afternoon and evening, the day session being in the auditorium of the library and the evening session in the Germania Opera House with Mr. F. D. Lake as chairman. A large audience was in attendance with several noted persons from abroad. Mr. and Mrs. Smith occupied the center of the platform, to whom it was a day of great joy. After fitting words of introduction by Chairman Lake, Mr. Smith made a short address characteristic of the man and turning the keys over to the mayor of the city. In speaking of the building and its uses, Mr. Smith said, I have long felt that our city needed just such a library and a building suitable to its purposes. The marked success of our library confirmed my previous impression. You will hear something of the inception of the library tonight. I felt that we must have a building good enough and large enough to meet the growing wants of our city for many years, and one that would be worthy of its use and worthy of our city. I have taken great pleasure in aiding to make our library of permanent usefulness to our city for all time. Everything in connection with library matters have been carefully and legally done. None need fear that our library will be a constant and increasing benefit to our community. And now we simply urge all our citizens to get all the benefits that the library and reading room offer. We pledge you that there shall be no lack of useful and entertaining reading material in the rooms at all times. We especially invite our young men and women who are employed during the day to the reading room evenings. Rest assured that all will be welcome. Addresses were made by President Plants of Lawrence University, Dr. E. H. Merrill of Ripon College, F. A. Hutchins, Secretary of State Library Commission, Madison, President Chase K. Adams, University of Wisconsin, Honorable J. H. Stout of Menominee, Reverend S. T. Kider, of Ripon, Reverend H. A. Minor of Madison, and others. The library is proving a great success. The avidity with which books are sought for and read by for children and youth of foreign families, Germans, Poles, and others, was a great surprise. It was a great joy to Mr. Smith to see the reading room filled with children and youth from such families and hear them speak with pride of our library. He lived long enough to see his great leading idea realized, viz., that this building would have a healthy moral influence in its competition with the evil influences of other social gathering places. A little spring had lost its way amid the grass and fern. A passing traveler scooped a well where weary men might churn. He walled it in and hung with care a ladle at the brink. He thought not of the deed he did, but judged the toil might drink. He passed again, and lo, the well by summers never dried had cooled 10,000 parched tongues, and saved a life besides. Such was Mr. Smith's thought 
in establishing the library, and he lived to see it like a living fountain of water, slacking the thirst of many a soul for knowledge and saving not a few from pathways of ignorance and vice and starting them on the highway to true manhood of character.